A perfect example of exactly where the Jazz are right now as a basketball team yesterday in Brooklyn. It's next on Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, how are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. This is the April 3rd edition of Locked on Jazz. Jazz fall again in Brooklyn. The play in hopes dwindling the reality check of what this roster is, what the lineup can actually do, what lack total lack of firepower they have, and the trickle-down effect it's having on Lowry and others. We'll dig into Walker Kessler gets a head injury. No official word yet, but what could it mean? The West is completely nutty. A late game watch of how did Minnesota possibly lose to Portland and what did that do for our lottery chances? Kind of crazy. And the rest of the Western Conference, we'll look at that as we head into the final week of the NBA season, plus we'll do our lottery day. I am David Locke, as I mentioned, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz and Jazz NBA Insider, and this is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thank you so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen Every day, we are here for you, Monday through Friday, each and every day. It's Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day, free and available on all podcasting apps, as well as on YouTube. So please subscribe, join the group, be a part of the family. On YouTube, hit the bell button so that you can uh, take the get the notification every time and also chat with all our friends uh, in that group. All right, um, so... Last night, the Jazz have what I actually think is exactly where the franchise is right now. Just like exactly last night. If you want to put our team in a capsule of where we are at this exact moment, that's it. And this is it is, one, we're just completely lacking enough firepower. We just don't have, with Jordan out, with Colin out, um, with the trades of Conley, Beasley, and Vanderbilt, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, that's... That's probably five, if not six, rotation players. And so the reality is kind of biting us, right? When we're playing someone who's pretty good, we're feeling it right now. The second part of it is that regardless of that, Will Hardy has instituted a a culture and an atmosphere around the team where nobody quits, where they just don't let up. Um, And... It's really impressive. If you kind of look since the trade deadline, our wins, other than the Boston and Sacramento two-game stretch at home, which was just kind of this incredible two-day thing where we stunned Boston and beat Sacramento, have come against undermanned teams. Right? So we got Toronto impressively in Toronto on a really impressive win. And then we got Indiana. We got the Thunder in overtime at home. We got the Spurs. We got the Magic. We got the Hornets. That's, that's what it's taking. And that's the kind of reality of this roster. I mean, when we're throwing out Lucas Samanich, Udoka Azubuke, Chris Dunn, Simone Fontecchio, and Juan Toscana Anderson at some point in time. Like, that group was minus eight to close the first quarter last night. Like, it's it's a lot. Um, and frankly, even, you know, 
our starting lineup has some guys that are overstretching. And I think that's really becoming obvious right now is that a bunch of our guys are overstretching what what they're able to, to do. Um, but as I said, the cool thing is that fourth quarter run that made it entertaining and made it that you know they're going to give you every ounce of everything they have, which is great. And that's all you can ask. And it's showing that the culture that Will Hardy has instituted in this team is taking hold and is important and is there. I mean, the question that's going to be asked about this season forever and we'll never know until the lottery plays is, you know, should have we lost and done what Portland's done? You know, Zach Lowe's on his podcast calling Portland disgraceful and disgust, and I'm playing a game last night on the plane called Political Scientist or NBA Player where I name players off the Portland Trailblazer roster and people have to guess whether they're a political scientist or they're an NBA player, and no one's quite sure because no one knows who the Blazer players are. Um, And, you know, they're being ripped right now for what they've done. On the other end, they have the fifth pick of the draft right now. They have no culture. Um, They have not built anything. They've won two games since March 6th. Um, They've won four games since February 26th. They, you know, I don't think they've built, they're not building anything um, with Chauncey right now. Maybe that's, and maybe that's irrelevant, frankly. I I think that's a worthwhile discussion of whether or not, you know, one thing relays to the next. I don't know. Um, But the Jazz have built something. Will Hardy has built something. There's an energy to what's going on. There's a style of play. Um, You know, as one person said to me, like, you know, if we want to tank, we can't bench Will Hardy. And as long as you got Will Hardy still coaching, probably not going to roll over and die anytime soon and probably not going to have a bad game plan or just throw it out there. They, they, they're coming prepared every night um, and they're putting in the work. Um, so it's really, you know, I, I think that last night is just a perfect characterization of where the Jazz are. They just, the offense, they lacked offensive firepower. Um The other one I would say is, you know, they're trying things every night. So the zone comes back last night and gets blistered. I don't have the final numbers on it, but, uh, you know, our official number we had on it was it was ugly. Um, Yeah, official numbers, we played zone for about 12 possessions and they scored 1.6 points per possession. Like we've played around with the zone, which has really been very interesting. And some nights it's been really good against Phoenix. It was outstanding against Sacramento. The second time it wasn't that great. And we didn't do it again with Boston. We only ran it for one possession. We only ran it for nine against San Antonio. And then last night it got torched. Now, some of this is make or miss, right? They hit three straight threes against the zone and you only run it for nine possessions. You're going to look pretty terrible against the zone. The, Last night, also, it's worth mentioning. I don't want you know we don't need to get into too many X's and O's aspects of where we are as a team. But last night's a particularly difficult matchup for the Jets because we don't have one-on-one creators on the roster other than maybe Taylor. And I think that was actually the exact thing I said in one of the games earlier. And then Taylor went off, so we don't really have one-on-one creators in any way, right? Like those are Jordan Collin. Our one-on-one creator, Lowry's trying to learn it. Um, so Talon might be our one, but you know, a lot of our lineups we're having out there. It's like, whoa, we don't have a single guy who can like just go beat somebody off the dribble, and make a play. Chris Dunn's trying with that floater, and that's where guys I think are getting pushed like right now a little bit beyond their natural level. When you're playing a a Brooklyn team that starts what six five, six five, six seven, six seven, 
and then Nick Claxton, and they're switching one through five, we're not very good against that yet. We haven't broken, you know, well, again, we don't have, like, this is where Jordan becomes super valuable. This is where Colin Saxton becomes super valuable. You want to switch a bunch of stuff, then we're going to go let Jordan or, or Colin break it into the paint and make a play, and you're going to have to bring somebody to help because they're too good one-on-one, and then next thing you know, we're we're rolling. But we don't have that isolation one-on-one dribble drive guy right now who can make that kind of play. And so when we're playing a team like Brooklyn, who's switching one through five with pretty good defensive players that are interchangeable, it gets tough. And our offense through three quarters last night was brutal. Um, I mean, there have not been... And what's great, we scored more points in the fourth. This is the, the essence of the team. We scored more points in the fourth quarter yesterday than we scored in the first half. But if you go look at the numbers, and I, you know, I was keeping them as the game went along, and you look officially, um, we our offensive rating in the first quarter was a 70. Our offensive rating in the second quarter was a 100. Our offensive rating in the third quarter was a 92.9. And then we explode for a 168. Offensive rating. So our first half offensive rating was an eighty-five point seven. There, there have been there's been one game all year below eighty-five point seven. I think there's been twenty-five games below ninety. The teams are zero and twenty-five. There have been about fifty games below ninety-two point five. I think teams are one and fifty-two. You really offensively really were were challenged, and that setup by Brooklyn right there was the one that's most difficult. That leads to something I think that we have to really look into, and that is first quarters. First quarters are far more important in the NBA than anyone ever talks about. And as we try to evaluate what we're seeing out of Jazz players, I think first quarters are really important. And we should learn a lot from it, and I'll explain that as we continue here today on Locked on Jazz. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross, also located in Logan. The Chevy lineup of trucks is unbelievable. It's the Silverado and the Colorado. And you certainly need a truck in this winter. Oh my gosh. Uh, It never stops. I'm even worn out by it and I love to ski. Um, So go check it out at at, at Chevy Woods Cross or in Logan. Uh, The lineup of trucks, the Silverado and the Colorado are the best. Those are, that's a Chevy truck. That's Americana. That's everything that you uh, want it to be. The Silverado is the big one. Uh, When I've driven it, it was incredible experience. Felt like a lazy boy chair you're sitting in, just cruising through the world with the ultimate power and authority. And then the Colorado's the fun zippy truck that gets all the kind of needs you have uh, along and and does your errands for you and runs your thing and gets this done. It's just kind of the awesome truck to have in the house. The SUV lineup is fantastic from the Utah County Assault Vehicles, the Tahoe and the Suburban to the Trailblazer, the Blazer, all the way down to the tracks. It is Murdoch. Chevy, it is the great lineup of Chevys. It's 80 years of the Murdochs in Utah. It's Americana. It's all of it together as one over at Murdoch Chevy. So make sure you check it out. Today's show is also brought to you by my good friends over at Built Bar. March Madness talking still going on. We're still having fun with it. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote. There's a lot of things you can win at BuiltMarchMadness.com. Um, I know it's April. I know it's almost done, but go enter in. And actually, the number chances for you to enter in are really, really good right now. So you can make your picks now of your favorite bracket. The lineup right now is Cookie Dough Chunk Puff against Salted Caramel. I'm voting Cookie Dough Chunk. 
as my vote there. And brownie batter puff against cookies and cream. I'm going dual puff. Get your votes in right now and vote. Plus, put your email in for a chance to go win uh, the final uh, a box of Built Bar for yourself for free. And the ultimate prize is, of course, that you win the uh, Built Bars for a year. The incredible Built Bar. I don't have a lot of problems with this bracket, by the way. I got to point that out. I think this bracket's turned out. They didn't put in the old cook the coconut brownie bar got beat by brownie batter puff in the first round and in a stunning upset but it's been a year of upsets so maybe that's um the reality on all of this uh go check it out at built.com right now they've got uh snickerdoodle chunk puff is back that was a big winner that's available right now brownie batter puff is also available salted caramel the crave built bar is available so go check it out all at built.com promo code locked on 15 is available for you at Locked On 15. All right, so first quarters to me tell a lot. I think it's the most underrated aspect in the NBA. Let me explain this to you. I think we all talk about fourth quarters. I'm watching the final seven minutes of every game this year. I almost wonder whether next year I should watch the first quarter of every game. That would be a lot. Um, So here's why I think first quarters matter. It's First of all, it's your five against their five. Second thing is, let's just look at first quarter numbers for the season. Like, right now, top of your head, give me the five best teams in the NBA. Just think about it. Okay, who put it? Five best teams. Okay, Boston's number one in first quarters. Denver's number two in first quarters. Milwaukee's number three in first quarters. Memphis is number four in first quarters. They are all plus nine or more. The next team is plus five. It's actually Minnesota. And then it falls, it falls off. So there's four teams that are truly great in first quarters. And they're arguably the four best teams in the NBA. Okay? The worst teams in the NBA in the first quarters are Detroit, Indiana, San Antonio, Houston, Charlotte, Portland, Orlando, Utah. Okay? Those are arguably the eight worst teams in the NBA this year. We could probably quibble about that, but, you know, frankly, you just don't see... Like, a bad team be good in first quarters, and you don't see a really good team be bad in first quarters. So the reality of the game is they come out and establish the tone, and they get it. So, first quarters really matter. Since the trade deadline, we're 28th in the NBA in first quarters with a minus 16.4. That tells me that we're making great adjustments as the game goes along. Our guys are battling their asses off every single night. But the fact of the matter is just like when we're, with what we got on the floor right now, that we're rolling out there, we're outmanned every night right from the shoot. Minus 16.4. Defense is a 121.7, which ranks us 25th in first quarter since the trade deadline, and our offense is 28th. So we're really struggling. The teams that since the trade deadline are the worst are Detroit, Golden State. Pretty interesting. I I think that's like an eye-opening little note there about Golden State. Utah, Brooklyn, San Antonio, Houston, Indiana, and then actually Sacramento, interestingly enough. And Sacramento and Philadelphia are both really bad in first quarters recently have overcome it. It's kind of worth, worth a note. Like that's concerning to me if I were them. So let's look at our first quarter numbers from an offensive standpoint, and see what the problem is. So, 
really, it, and, and you remember, like, what's, what happened here is that we, we got thin. We traded Mike Conley, so we're playing without a natural point guard. We traded Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt, so we just have lack a little depth. And we've got some non-shooters on the floor a lot of the time. And so it's just a little tougher for our guys. Just a little, little tougher at all times for our guys right now. So in seven games, Jordan was playing with that wrist injury. He shot 28% from the field and 13% from three. Lowry's first quarters are right now at 42% from the field and 29% from three. I feel like he's being overstretched. He doesn't look comfortable at all to me. He looks... He looks quick and last night they brought a new double team to him where every time he put the ball on the floor and spin they brought a double team and he hadn't experienced that before and you could see it really bothered him this is this is a new incredible role for him to take as a go-to guy of what he's gonna have to experience as an NBA player here Taylor Horton Tucker has done marvelous things he's gotten better he's throwing neat passes he's pushing ahead he's finding alley-oops he's scoring he's doing neat stuff in first quarters, he shoots 38% for the field and 35% from three. Johnny Juzang's getting first quarter action, 42% from the field and 30% from three. Ochai Abaji's getting a bunch of first quarters, averaging nine minutes in first quarters. He's shooting 44% from the field and 36% from three. That's kind of, that's actually exactly where I'd expect him. I think that's pretty encouraging, actually. Um, that 36% from three in first quarters is nice. That's when teams are zeroed in. They're still focused. They're playing. The fact is, when you go down, 23 teams let up. Kelly said it postgame last night. And then the Jazz took advantage of it. Simone, 40% in first quarters, 38% from three. It's not bad, actually. 40% is not great. Kelly Olenek, 43% from the field, 27% from three. So he's been great for us, filling all sorts of different roles, taking a lot of burden, doing a lot of different things. First quarter's not particularly efficient. Walker has decent numbers because he shoots a high percentage. Um, and his um, he's getting three rebounds, scoring, I think, two or three points. He's doing his thing. Chris Dunn, 39% from the field in first quarters. So, you know, I think this is a little revealing to the lack of firepower we have right now in how games go. The other one to look at is third quarters, right? So third quarters, since if you look at the same concept, and we can dig more in depth in this, I think when we do our player evaluations at the end of the season and kind of look at everything, third quarters aren't quite as consistent. The best teams in the league are third quarters are Oklahoma City, Boston, Memphis, Sacramento, Clippers, Denver, Milwaukee, Dallas. Like, it's generally the right teams, but there's some there's some kind of misnomer here that this is not as consistent a, a metric, I would say. I'm not as moved by third quarter play as I am by first quarter play. First quarter play, to me, I think that's a huge story. Third quarter play, since the trade deadline, we are 27th. So it's a little bit of the same thing there, where we're going up against top-level guys, starting lineups, third quarters, and we're not, you know, we're not quite as solid. Um, a bunch of our guys kind of bounce back, and their numbers begin to get better 
in third quarters as they feel the game as the other team maybe is up by a little bit just or we get a better rhythm to where the game is most of our guys third quarter numbers are actually way better which is which is interesting but as i said i'm not as big a third quarter number guy our offense is much better in third quarters it's 23rd in the league our defense is 27th but really the first quarters to me are i don't want to get lost in my point my point is first quarters i think are really telling that that's where you just see we don't have the firepower. And the fact that we're, I think, the fourth best team in the NBA in fourth quarters since the trade deadline shows you the effort and the fight and who we are as a group and what Will Hardy's instituted and the, the professionalism of these guys and their willingness to fight through each and every night. And then when the other team lets go of the rope a little bit, they really are taking advantage of it, which is cool because then they're fighting. But I do think like, hey, you know, we've talked about this a lot. We've got five or six guys that weren't in rotations at the trade deadline that are playing, and we're seeing that kind of come to roost right now. Uh, Walker last night got hit in the head with an elbow by Taylor Horton Tucker and then was super woozy walking, like was walking on a tilt. He looked like someone who had just been hit in the head, looked like a quarterback. Um, So we'll see what the word is today of whether he enters the concussion protocol or not. Um, But... If he does enter the concussion protocol, I hate to say it, but I wonder if we just saw the last of Walker, um, which would be just in a great rookie season and just super. Like last night's probably his toughest matchup with Claxton and the switching. Um, he struggled against them last time and struggled again last night a little bit. But what a wonderful season for him if that, in fact, was the last time we see Mike. You know, if he doesn't go on the protocol, then we probably, you know, we, we get to see him Tuesday or Thursday. I just having watched him walk down the court, not being a doctor and having not stayed at the Holiday Inn Express last night, I would be super surprised if we if he's not into the protocol. And then, my, my th- let me see, let me elaborate on the thought. If he's in the protocol, we probably don't see him Tuesday or Thursday. And then if he hasn't done anything because he's in the protocol for a bunch of days, I don't think you play him Saturday, Sunday. Like, if he hasn't run around and done stuff for four days, you probably got to be really careful and, we're going to be super careful. There's Then I wonder if there's a trickle down to that. Like, frankly, if we've got a Doka Zabutke and Damian Jones suddenly trying to battle Anthony Davis and LeBron James on Tuesday and trying to battle the Thunder on Thursday and then Denver, depending who they roll out, on Friday, like, I begin to wonder, like, you know, what's the value at that point of us trying to get guys one more game or two more games. I think we've, you know, the beauty of this season is we have a really good sample size on who everybody is um, right now. Jazz draft position is really stuck at this point. And I'll talk about it next, plus some thoughts about what's going on around the Western Conference on what was a wacky, wacky day yesterday. Um, I mean, I am so mystified by the things that are happening in the NBA. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at Prize Picks. I hope you've gotten a chance to take advantage of the 100% deposit match where you get up to $100 back with a promo code locked on. If you've not, let's jump aboard this and take advantage of the fun daily fantasy game that is Prize Picks. It's easy to play, that is a quick entry. Use two to six players. If they'll go more or less on your prize picks predictions, you can win up to 25 times your money. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections. Prize picks offers projections on any sport you can imagine. You can do the final game tonight. Entries can be made up in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Safe and fast and easy withdrawals. Currently operational in 30 states and Canada. Download the prize picks app. Go to prizepicks.com. Sign up. 
your new daily fantasy sports and take advantage. First-time users, as I said, receive the 100% deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If your deposit of $100, prize picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, prize picks will give you $50. If you do $72.50, you get $72.50. If you do $150, you only get $100. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Have a great deal of fun and enjoy your time with prize picks. So last night, the crazily enough, the Minnesota Timberwolves lost to the Portland Trailblazers in a game where I don't recognize four of the players who play for the Portland Trailblazers. And I know the league pretty well. I don't know Skyler Mays, sorry. Um, I thought he was a political scientist. Uh, the Oklahoma City loses again, and then Dallas, in overtime, in a wacky one, loses to Atlanta. They're 4-11 since Kyrie and Luke have come together. Like, it's nuts. I watched the end of Portland, Minnesota. So there's a few interesting things going on in late game. Watch that. When we talked earlier this week about Minnesota, Kyle Anderson was closing games for them, and they were running everything through Kyle Anderson. Now that Carl Anthony Towns is back, they're taking Kyle Anderson out of the game and closing with Conley, Edwards, McDaniels, Towns, and Gobert. I think they need Kyle Anderson on the floor. There was a pretty telling minute moment to me late in the game where they swing it around. Portland switching one through five. Drew Eubanks comes out on Mike Conley, and Mike Conley can't shake Drew, Drew Eubanks. Like Mike Conley has been great for them as kind of an off-ball shooting guard more than anything else. The other one on Minnesota, and this is just such basic fundamental stuff, but they're just not making plays. Like, Anthony Edwards got had a great game, but he got to the cup and missed, like, with four minutes left, missed a layup. Mike Conley has a fast break with Rudy Gobert, and he just throws it away. Um, Mike Conley had a three, or uh, Edwards missed a, um, Edwards had another miss late that was just kind of, like, you know, surprising. They're also just not getting stops. Um, kind of bizarrely, Portland scored on their final, and they should get stops. Portland scored on every possession for the final two minutes of the game last night. I think so. That's five or six possessions. They scored on, it was 198 Minnesota, and then Portland scored on every possession the rest of the way, which was just kind of weird. Like, how is Minnesota just not getting stops late in the games? One of them is that Carl Anthony Towns is a four is a problem. Like, they got Carl Anthony Towns on a pick and roll where it wasn't clear what Minnesota was doing defending. Like, Carl Anthony Towns wasn't quite dropping. He wasn't quite up on the ball. He wasn't quite affecting the ball. He kind of went back to his man. It's like they decided they weren't switching the pick and roll or they weren't even, like, they just were playing the pick and roll straight up and you were supposed to stay with your man, which is pretty hard to do in the NBA in a 17-foot pick and roll. And then there was another time where they, and that I think got Mays a, a layup with 129 left. And then the play before that, Sharp got a layup. And you're like, who are these guys? With a layup where Carl Anthony Towns got switched out to him. So, um, you know, really just a terrible loss for Minnesota. Also a, a huge impact for the Jazz. It, it means Minnesota has slipped back to ninth in the standings, and all of a sudden, if they don't win two in a row in, the, in their game and a half behind the Pelicans, if they don't win two in a row, they don't make the playoffs, we get a lottery pick from them. Like, it's crazy. 
Now, Minnesota might win two in a row because they actually should be better than all these teams. But Minnesota, who's lost three in a row, goes to Brooklyn on Tuesday, who needs to win. Then they go to San Antonio, and then they close with the Pelicans on a back-to-back at home on Sunday. That game might really matter. That might be an incredible game. The Pelicans, who are up, they have four left. They play Sacramento at home tonight, Memphis at home on Wednesday. So back-to-back tough ones. Memphis doesn't really need to win, I don't think. Memphis is two games up on Sacramento. Sacramento doesn't really need to win because they're two games back on Memphis, but four games up on Phoenix. They're pretty well set. So that could be, they could get a little break there. They then play the Knicks who don't need to win at home. So all three of those teams could be taking it off and then they go to Minnesota and they're not on a back-to-back for that afternoon game. So Minnesota may have walked themselves into the ninth position. Oklahoma City is in the 10th position right now. And as much as it, it just doesn't feel like we've got the firepower to go get them right now, but they're not, they're lacking. They, they don't have a lot of wins. They have the win against, they don't have a lot of wins left on their schedule. Dallas could still get them. They're at Golden State tonight or tomorrow night. Then they're at us on Thursday night. And then they're home Sunday with a bunch of days off against Memphis. Memphis won't care about that game. So maybe that Oklahoma City can go get two of their next three. And for that matter, if Oklahoma City goes and gets two of their next three and Minnesota doesn't, Minnesota suddenly could end up in 10th. For Dallas, Kyrie and Luka might not make the play-in. This is craziness. They had the number one offense in the half court in the NBA, and they decided to try to add Kyrie to it. I have no idea what's going on. Of why the roster construction is just bad. We watched the end of their loss the other night against um, Miami on the plane. They play Sacramento. They're at home for their final three: Sacramento, Chicago, San Antonio. Really, Dallas should not lose another game. But since they've only won one of their last eight, it's hard to imagine that insanity. So my late game watch was the that. Minnesota game. By the way, the, the right now Denver would like if it plays out. De- By the way, the Lakers also own. We play the Lakers twice. The Lakers control their destiny to the fifth seed. They're only a half game back of the Clippers and the Warriors. Here's what's nutty: nobody wants the fifth seed because nobody wants to play Phoenix and Durant, who won five in a row. Everyone wants the sixth seed where they're playing Sacramento. Nobody wants the seventh seed, and so I don't know how teams are going to navigate this. But it's going to get funky on the last night of the season if someone tries to position themselves in this group. Boy, the league's done masterful stuff here. I did not talk about the CBA today because I need to read more about it, but it's a massively important thing. We'll talk about it some tomorrow um, as well. All right, let's do our lottery. Let's set up the lottery. Ron and I were playing last night on the plane. Ron and I had five hours on the plane together. We had such a blast. We made Ron custom shoes on the plane. We did awesome. All right, we go into the lottery with the Jazz at ninth and 13th now because of Minnesota. I don't think we can get out of ninth, by the way. Orlando would have to win two more games. Washington would have to win two more games. And Indiana would have to win three more games for us to get out of ninth. The only way we get out of ninth is that we go to 10th and Portland cat and Dallas catches us because we actually have the same losses as Dallas, but I think Dallas wins one more game, and I'm not entirely sure we do. All right, here we go. One, two, three, boom. The number one pick of the draft goes to the Portland Trailblazers. Well, that would make their 
things they've been criticized for so much worth it. Number two to the San Antonio Spurs. Number three to the Detroit Pistons. Number four to the Indiana Pacers. This is, again, what's so interesting to me. San Antonio, Detroit, and Houston have just had these miserable seasons where they've lost 20 or more games, won 20 or fewer games. In all likelihood, two of the three and maybe one of the three will be out of the top four. In this case, it was Houston. Charlotte is sixth. Washington, seven. Orlando, eight. Utah holds at nine. Dallas at 10. Oklahoma City at 11. 12. Orlando gets it from Chicago. And 13. Utah gets it from Minnesota. So we held at 9, 13. And then Philadelphia is at 27 right now for us on the lottery. Have a great day. That is Locked on Jazz. Tomorrow on the show, I'll try to break down the CBA stuff. We'll get ready for our matchup with the Los Angeles Lakers and we'll be shoveling snow. Not literally on the show, but who knows. Have a great one. Thanks so much for tuning in. It is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.